Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC. This is the latest in our weekly update series coming to you from Gainesville, Florida, home of the University of Florida. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today with Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan uh, and work a little bit with our producers, Diego Rodriguez and Wilson Gabarino and go into a little bit about crime and loss control, what's going on in retailing uh, around the world. Um, Here we are. uh, It's now Tuesday, uh, 26th of September, 2023. And um, we're now less than a week away from the 2023 version of the LPRC Impact Conference. We believe this is our 19th Impact Conference. And again, prior to that, we had uh, 95, 6, and 7 brainstorm conferences. So tough to believe it's gone this rapidly, but there you go. That's life. Um, We're excited. We've got more content than ever. Um, Everybody has gotten their slides in, but everybody, including me, continues to, of course, uh, tweak our slides a little bit, a little more imagery, uh, a little more tie-in to what's going on in the future. A mandated LPRC is, again, I've mentioned this in past pro- podcast episodes, of course, is that the LPRC was set up by 10 retailers, now uh, engages with uh, over 88 retail corporations and uh, 125 solution partner members, associations, and beyond year-round. We uh, work on research and development year-round. Uh, at our six different research venues that we are working in. Um, We operate, of course, our six working groups. We operate the Innovate Advisory Panel, that all of these things happen year-round. Crime, loss, the opportunities to control both, to enable safer uh, and better commerce. Uh, Those are always, always our goals, and that means a whole lot of work to combat theft, fraud, and violence um, at our Uh, against our people and our places. So uh, with impact, each and every session of the event, like our other events, is designed to not only gather what we've learned through research and development with retailers in the field, in the labs, uh, what are the implications, uh, but also plan together with that group and, and put out there where are we going next with this particular research effort and this specific topic so that uh, it's not a, a one-off uh, talk and then walk, but rather an ongoing year-round iterative building process so that we are checking in, we're updating, we're getting, we're gathering new information, new direction. Uh, we're tweaking what we're learning and doing because of all the uh, inf- influx of new information, new data uh, on each and every type of crime event that, that the retailers that we work with are confronted with. So with that, we're going in with eyes wide open. We've got a record enrollment. Uh, I've seen it as high as 470 enrollees. Um, Blowing away, I believe uh, the the best estimate probably is we had about uh, 370 to 85 participants last year. So we should be uh, well beyond that, maybe 100 or more uh, professionals in here in Gainesville. Uh, More interaction than ever with our Gainesville Police Department, our University of Florida Police Department, uh, Gainesville Fire Rescue, um, our local mall operators like Butler Enterprises and Brookfield Properties and so on, much tighter community. Um, And we're gonna spend some really neat quality time together. Uh, I know my sessions are about LPRC uh, 
now and next, what we're doing, how we're doing it, where we're doing it, when we're doing it, what we need to get it done. Um, and I, I'm pretty excited about that uh, content. Uh, working away too with uh, Mike Lamb, uh, the VP, of course, of Asset Protection at Kroger Company, and Chad McIntosh, the uh, interim, or in any way, regardless, the current vice president of Asset Protection for Rite Aid Corporation. Uh, they're going to be talking about what they experienced in the past. They both went into what I would call early retirement, but in the retirement, they were both called back to active duty, if you will. And uh, we're going to talk about what they did in the past, what they confronted when they came back, the dynamic changes that they experienced, uh, and then how they had to take a deep breath, rally the troops, and figure out not just how to get better in the, in the environment they used to operate in, but how to start to tackle, suppress, get some uh, control over the explosion across places and time of types and intensity of the problems out there, the crimes, um, and then start to prioritize, uh, look at uh, integrating different systems and protocols uh, and things like that to try and get a better handle on what's going on, as well as having better insight to get better and better. Um, we're going to talk about their partnerships and how they're learning to partner better or others want to partner with them more uh, in these organizations than ever before. Uh, I think that these companies are energized, and I, I would bet that most of our retail organizations, and again, we're closing in on 100 of those, um, probably uh, none of them are immune to some of the theft, fraud, and violence. It may come in different forms, frequency, and intensity for them, but the, the, this has risen to beyond just the C-suite. This is board of, of directors uh, level for many, many, many of these retail companies. Uh, and that means that everybody in the organization is uh, expected and, and is probably uh, pulling together to help uh, across the board with the issue. So very excited about that. I've got a session called Digital Virtual Go Bags. This is a very, very hot topic. Uh, how do uh, retail stores, uh, retail enterprises, but at the store level particularly, uh, better coordinate with local first responders before or at latest during a very critical event, barricaded subject, uh, armed robbery, uh, active shooter, uh, or some other mass casualty event from a natural disaster, uh, and so on, um, so that their their partners, their first responders, know a lot more about that place than they normally would, and they, they need to know it, and they need to know it now. How do we accomplish that with digital links, uh, as well as physical go back. So you're going to see uh, Mike Courier, uh, topic, one of the top executives at Verizon Wireless uh, in this space. Um, we're going to have uh, University of Florida PD, and I believe Gainesville uh, PD uh, experts from their real-time intelligence or crime centers talking about what it is that they could best use at the street level, that patrol deputy or officer level. Uh, what would that first-line supervisor best need? what would that uh would their command staff or their their crime centers need and how could they get that what's the best format to provide that to them um, so they have better insight they can see visibly blueprints maybe imagery of all types understand rosters and where people might be and are and all the types of things we got several domains to talk about getting that information there before and during uh, emergent situations i'm excited really excited about that one as well um, and uh, working on the Gainesville Safer Places Lab East Side initiative. We're going to go through that and describe in depth what in the world we're trying to do there. How are we trying to do it? How is this East Side Gainesville 
leading to and being informed by uh, the Port St. Lucie initiative, by the upcoming West Side initiative, by the current uh, UF Innovation Square Safer Places Lab initiative. How are these all fueling and feeding each other? And then again, the upcoming Atlanta and finally Albuquerque initiative. So how all these will be working together in a in a, in a learning lab, learning loop type of ecosystem. So a lot of excitement there uh, by our team and getting the word out. We've got, again, eight major retailers who have stores in this Eastside initiative participating, plus Gainesville Police Department, Gainesville Fire Rescue, the mayor's office, uh, the city commission, um, some of the faith leaders, um, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, and beyond, all trying to work together and create this learning ecosystem here at Eastside Gainesville. So very excited to talk and brainstorm with the group uh, and see and let them know and get information from each and every one, suggestions, comments, critiques, uh, how do we improve what we're doing and how we how we do it, but also how do we get uh, instant and ongoing learnings? What are some of the things we're learning? What are the implications from that? How can that retailer, how can that store, that district, that region, that corporation, that that uh, first responder organization go to work with that? What are things we can almost tear off the pad and give it to them to go to work with? So we really want to get better and better at that. We have, there, including me, we have seven research scientists now at the LPRC, a research associate, a research assistant, a research tech, research technologist. Um, we are now generating a ton of research going on on theft, fraud, and violence at the departmental or category area, that area of the store, the store level, of course, parking lot level, the community, the district region, and the enterprise. So uh, with our research and action briefs, you're now seeing between five and 10 of those coming out of the LPRC a month. We're trying to make sure that they are very concise easy to read and easy to go to work with. Uh, there may be fuller reports behind those, but uh, that's a key part and another thing that we want to do. Impact was and continues to be a place for us to annually interact, engage with, and learn from and work with all of our members now approaching 250 corporations plus all the other members that we have, retail associations and law enforcement agencies and so on. So uh, excited to see each and every one of you that can in, get into Gainesville, Florida. Um, we will, uh, on Sunday evening, some uh, folks are coming in to go to dinner. Uh, Monday, we've got a golf event. There's the Board of Advisors meeting. There's the LPRC's Strategy at Program for most senior uh, LPAP uh, decision makers. We've got, of course, the LPRC Innovate Advisory Panel meeting. And then we've got an amazing two and a half hour uh, reception outside in tents with music and great food and beverages. Um, we've got the ongoing lab tours through our six interior labs, as well as going through the four square block area that the that the tents are set up in and the beautiful UF Innovate Hub area. Um, so we, we are excited about uh, getting rolling all day Monday, <clears throat> Tuesday all day over at the UF Student Union called the Rights Union, which is ha, had been remodeled just a handful of years ago. It's a massive but very, very uber modern and actually even recently redecorated yet again uh, grand ballroom, the Ryan Ballroom, which is almost as big, one floor up we use uh, for our solution partner experience area. We've got multiple really nice breakout rooms. Uh, you see students and lab coach showing everybody around, posters up, put up everywhere with key learnings. Um, 
on top of all the great events and breakouts. And then, of course, the social event that Tuesday evening over at the UF Swamp, uh, the football stadium on the Champions Club level, uh, where you'll see hundreds of uh, participants uh, playing all types of games and with the Gator cheerleaders and Albert, live music, all kind of uh, great food and drinks. Um, you can go out in outside in the stadium at the top part, but it's just a great, fun, uh, really unique venue uh, that we like to show off here <clears throat> in addition to the beautiful uh, campus that we've got here in a southern college town, if you will, of Gainesville, Florida. Wednesday, we go just over half a day. Some more fantastic content. Um, we'll also have some VR things going on, virtual reality. Uh, one of our faculty professors here, Dr. Kong, demonstrating some of the VR she's using to collect data and work on virtual reality training for active assailant, active shooter. Um, we've also got uh, another VR setup with the University of Florida Police Department where they're demonstrating the Axon VR program, training program. They've got 22 downloaded scenarios. Uh, you can put the headsets on and either be a criminal offender uh, uh, or somebody under the influence or, or somebody that might be suffering some type of psychosis or, or, or event. Um, you can also be the officer uh, or first responder handling the situation and go back and forth to get a real feel for what it's like uh, in both different situations on both sides. So uh, just, uh, just too much to talk about, uh, but this is the place to be uh, in Gainesville, Florida, first week of October every year. And uh, we appreciate everybody's support and uh, look forward to seeing you all. So with no further ado, let me turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, sorry for the long-winded, but here we go. Take it away. Thank you, Reed. Uh, let me start this week with a brand new article from Business Insider on how four major retailers are fighting retail shrink. The article is titled, Costco, Lowe's, Best Buy, and Tractor Supply are winning the battle against retail theft in a strikingly similar way. As some of the CEO mentioned in the article, the issue of retail shrink is top of their mind. Organized retail crime is worse now than I've ever seen it, said Tractor Supply CEO Hal Lawton. I've never seen anything like it, said Lowe's CEO Marvin Allison. Best Buy CEO Kyrie Berry told analysts that her company's definitely seen an increase in theft at certain stores. Taking a closer look, it's clear that Costco, Lowe's, Best Buy, and Tractor Supply have similar striking similarities and qualities that, that is helping them win the war on retail uh, theft. Uh, the actual article lists five of these. Number one, store locations and layout. With the exception of Best Buy, three out of the four chains tend to have their stores in more suburban and rural locations that see fewer people. But Lowe's, Marvin Allison, and Tractor Supply, Hal Lawton, said a low population density contributes to the lower incidence of theft compared with busier locations. And with the exception of Lowe's, three out of the four companies use a similar entrance and exit strategy that funnels every shopper past employees at cash registers or security checkpoints. Number two, big, heavy merchandise. A lot of the merchandise that these four retailers uh, sell is too unwieldy to be conveniently stolen. 
Most people are unable to walk or throw a couple of those 50-pound 50 50 bags over the shoulder and walk out, said Lawton. Even if you do, you're stealing only 80 to $100. Number three, secure displays. For smaller or more expensive items, all four retailers aren't afraid of requiring customers to get help. Electronics and office sold at Costco with a pay-and-collect feature before they're placed on the cart. Much like Best Buy keeps certain inventory off the sales floor until a customer requests it. And power tools and loads and tractor supply are often kept in locked shelves with loads taking the extra step of selling some products that won't work unless activated after purchase. Number four, last self-checkout. Another big theme in the way these, each retailer handles self-checkout, which has been which has been blamed for a spike in theft rates when it introduced at stores. Self-checkout is minimal to non-existent at Best Buy and tractor supply, while Lowe's has invested big bucks in excessive protection technology to keep a sharp digital eye on the store. Costco saw a slight increase in inventory shrink after it rolled out self-checkout three years ago, but those rates have since reverted to the to the longer-term trend as the company has taken a more hands-on approach to monitoring what goes on in their lanes. And number five, and probably the most important, more staff per square foot. All four retailers prioritize having knowledgeable, helpful staff and have a high level of customer engagement. We just have more employees in our stores and they are just do an exceptional job of watching out over our stores, Barry said of Best Buy. Meanwhile, a typical tractor supply location may have as many as eight people working in a relatively small 20,000 square foot store. For Allison and Lowe's, the best investment was simple. Having spent my entire adult life in retail at every level, the only thing that I understand clearly is that the greatest deterrent to any type of theft activity is effective customer service. And these are really great lessons from these retailers in terms of combating theft, and that's why I wanted to share them in detail. Switching to my second topic for this week, uh, let me go to the RIS News on their latest holiday retail forecast and predictions for 2023. As they state, holiday retail sales are likely to increase between 35 to 4.6% in 2023 for the November to generate a timeframe according to Deloitte's annual retail holiday forecast. Last year, the company predicted an increase of four to 6% for comparison. Deloitte also forecast e-commerce sales will grow between 10.3 and 12.8 year over year during the 23 to 24 holiday season. This will result in an e-commerce holiday sales reaching between $268 billion to $284 billion this season. Salesforce.com forecasts sales of 4% global and 1% U.S. year-over-year uh, -year online sales growth across November and December, reaching $1.19 trillion and $273 billion respectively. 60% of these sales, or $714 billion globally, will be influenced by frontline workers in the store by a combination of creating demand 
and fulfilling online orders at retail locations. Bain and Company forecasts nominal U.S. retail sales to slow this holiday season with the lowest growth in 2018. Unadjusted seasonal sales are expected to grow 3% over year on year in November and December, reaching nearly $915 billion with 90% of that growth coming from e-commerce. However, adjusting for inflation, real U.S. holiday retail sales will glow a sluggish of just 1%, the company said, well below the 10-year average and the lowest real sales growth since the financial crisis. Celico, which conducted an independent survey in July with 1,000 consumers nationwide, found that this holiday season, an overwhelming majority of U.S. consumers are getting uh, are setting some budget limitations on their holiday spending. Nearly 8% of survey respondents indicate they are determined to spend less than $5,000 on holiday shopping. Approximately half of the respondents said it's planned to plan to spend less than $1,000 on holiday shopping, while 30% said they, they budgeted between $2,000 and $5,000 for gifts this year. According to Salesforce, 17% of shoppers report that already have used generative AI for purchase inspiration. The company predicts the technology will influence $194 billion in global online holiday spending as retailers use predictive and generative AI for operational efficiencies and personalized shopping experience. Blue Yonder's 2023 return survey, which polled 1,000 U.S. consumers, found 59% said tighter return restrictions have deterred them from making a purchase, while 71% said lenient returns policies significantly or moderately influence their decision to purchase. Salesforce found 88% of retailers said they will make the return policy stricter ahead of the holidays, which presents a risk. Retailers who rein in on their return policy could see slower start to the holidays, Salesforce said. Based on the previous year's data, it predicts that retailers will return windows of 30 days or less will see 7% fewer online sales in October and November. So that's a little bit in terms of what's going on with holiday sales and also retail shrink. I'm really looking forward to seeing many of you at the Loss Prevention Research Council Impact Conference next week. I will be there for a short time, but I'm looking forward to seeing many of you. Of you. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Uh, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reed. Uh, exciting uh, times right now. So you'll be listening to this podcast uh, the week before Impact. LPRC Impact is coming up, my favorite uh, event of the year. Uh, this podcast will be published uh, the uh, September 28th, and then literally a couple of days later, we'll be in Gainesville, Florida for Impact. And Impact is uh, the Loss Prevention Research this conference it's where we can talk about all the things we did this year, collaborate, and spend time together. So very exciting. I hope to see uh, a lot of you listeners there, as I know that a lot of the listener base is part of the membership community. 
so excited and uh, hopefully we'll have good weather. I mean, uh, every couple of years we have a weather scare this this year. I think we're in, in line for really good weather and really, really good content. Wanted to just kind of address a whole bunch of things in the news, uh, similar, to, similar to how we do every week, starting with there's been uh, rumbling about T-Mobile and another data breach. Well, uh, currently T-Mobile has come out publicly and said that the, they're denying that there is a data breach and that it points to a potential authorized reseller. Um, so this news is fairly new. So September 21st, uh, there was... Uh, a bad actor with the name Emo who shared 89 gigabytes uh, worth of arch archive data, inc uh, including some T-Mobile information in a breach form, uh, a breach form uh, for hackers and actually for free. So this is an interesting one because usually what you would see is some sort of paid for per uh, option. So this is still relatively new. Um, I actually saw the data. So um I think it's it's somewhat uh, interesting that it, it it does appear to be legitimate. Now I, there's no way for us to validate that there, but it's definitely a space to watch. And this is kind of one of the things that's really interesting today when you're working with third parties. You know, how do you manage your third party risk when someone that you're working with leaks data that appears that it's yours. I think it's important to note that um, you know, I think last week or the week before we talked about the the breaches or the cybersecurity incidences incidents, excuse me, for MGM and Caesars, and that um, there was an incident that was a mix potentially of ransomware and intrusion, and this was all listed throughout. You know, the, a whole bunch of uh, both public forums and media. And then what 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 does it mean for your brand? What does it mean for your reputation? And so definitely a space to watch. I think these breaches or cyber instances incidents are going to continue to plague us for the foreseeable future. And I think it's just something that we need to be very, very aware of. Um, another on another note, just related to kind of cybersecurity and risk, uh, there was some researchers that found, and we've talked about this, IoT devices, specifically light bulbs, that they, there were vulnerabilities that allowed them to get your Wi-Fi password. So one of the comments here is, okay, what's the risk if, if someone gets my Wi-Fi wi password uh, the, through a, a smart light bulb? Um, it's not really, for me, so much about that. It's with all of these connected devices, when we're purchasing connected devices, um, whether it be smart speakers, cameras, uh, egg, plugs, lights, which is any of these connected devices in our, our homes for consumer use, what you know, what protection do we have to keep people off of our networks, to keep people out of our information? Oftentimes, you know, these devices have end of life periods where the device is, there's nothing physically wrong with it. It's just not patchable anymore and not supportable. And then additionally, especially uh, today with blocking of traffic, some of these devices can auto update, but by design, you don't necessarily want people to be able to access them. Um, you know, I think this is a challenge if you have connected devices. So anybody who remembers the the Nest Cam, but before it was the Nest Cam with Google, it was used to be referred to as a drop cam. Um, you would probably remember when that 
device went end of life. And then when that device went end of life, um, just recently, you know, not using it anymore that was actually disabled. Uh, there are some other devices or softwares out there that once they're not supported anymore, um, the thought process is the manufacturer goes, hey, we told you this wasn't supported anymore. Uh, that's on you. Uh, a lot of older cell phones have similar challenges. Not that most people have cell phones that are 10 or 15 years old, but if you did, you would surely find that they're not patchable or upgradable. So what this means for every listener, whether you're in a consumer setting or a business setting is make sure that when you're buying devices that have connectivity, um, IoT devices, that you're trying to buy them from reputable, well-known companies and understand what their patching and upgrading protocol is. You know, I'm a photographer. I take a lot of pictures and most of my cameras require a manual firmware flash if there's a challenge. There are a lot of devices that we purchase that require that. Now, our IT departments are usually on top of this, but uh, anything that's connected at some point could need to be updated. So something to definitely keep an eye on. And as for this particular research that was um, done, the bottom line here is that the, crypt, uh, the cryptographic uh, vulnerability in these you know, light bulbs and it's popular light OTP link um, is that someone could easily get in and steal your Wi-Fi password. Now, think about this. If you are a, using these in a commercial setting, what the risk would be if someone could get onto your network. Once someone's in your network, you're, you're, they've really beat the first layer of protection. And you know what I often say is if someone has direct access to your devices, then there's not a lot of measures you can take. So just something to certainly watch and stay on top of. Lots of news around AI, and I'll start with OpenAI's ChatGPT. Um, for paid users, this will be coming probably in the next 10 days, and then for free users, it'll be a little longer, but they're now rolling out a new text-to-speech um, model in iOS and Android apps, which allow you to have really human-like audio conversations. Um, I was able to test this. The audio is, is uncanny. Um, I think if you're someone that uses tech um, to speech engines, you might catch some things, but they're using um, the whisper protocol, which is a very, very good human-like engine. So this is bringing the next level uh, to the chat GPT functionality where you can have a conversation-like like, um, experience where you're actually asking a question and it's conversational. So um, I don't necessarily think that um, this will change the functionality, but it definitely will make things uh, work differently in the future. Uh, additionally, another new feature is ChatGPT allowing you to take an image of something and ask a question. So the example that was given um, in the, the article by The Verge is if you had a broken faucet, you could take a picture of it and ask it what you know what what are ways i could fix this if you had food ingredients and you took a picture of them what could i make with it so we're really adding um the 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 visual capability to it and what OpenAI is saying is now you have chat gpd who can it can see hear, and speak so you're starting to really take the next step in generative ai and, and making it more human-like on the flip side uh anthro Pod or Anthropic, which is the competitor of OpenAI. Uh, their engine is called Claude, as opposed to ChatGPT, has just uh, signed a deal with Amazon where they'll be using 
that engine with AWS, and I suspect we'll see more of that integration into some of the Amazon products. Um, and basically, what what you'll see there is um, you'll have a competing a competitive body, and uh, the folks that started Anthropod were were OpenAI. Um, people that left and moved over. Uh, I wouldn't say, it, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's remarkably different. I think ChatGPT um, has much more adoption because of the consumer piece, but Claude is a really interesting engine. Um, I use both. I think both are very, very valuable. And I think that I would recommend folks going out and, and seeing um, what what's out there from uh, AI. I, I say it all the time and will continue to say it. If you're not using this both can, in your business and your home life, you, you're missing out and you could be behind the, uh, on the times of what's occurring. I also will, will give my caveat warning of that generative AI is not always correct. So when you're using this to take, take a very, very strong approach um, to make sure that you are looking at what's occurring and making sure that you are not in, in inadvertently um, taking misinformation. Uh, one of the things that we're starting to see, and I, I mentioned this once before in a podcast, is something called drift, where the AI starts to make mistakes based on the input. Uh, I think that, that that's part of course, and I think we're going to continue to, to see improvement around that. Um, and I, I think that this is going to be the future for all of us, uh, I, I think it's a part of what we'll be doing. And I think you will start to see in, incorporation into business uh, use cases. Google has already put it into their Google Worksuite and Microsoft Office has it. Um, and then last, but certainly not least related to AI is Getty Images has also made a release that they'll start to have generative AI functionality where they're training on their images they own the rights to. So you could actually create an image based on that. Um, the general feedback is that it's very good for stock photos. Um, there hasn't been pricing released yet, but th again, this really kind of transitions the way marketers will work. And you know, when you're going to get to a point where images um, are not easy to identify what's AI and what's not, um, some folks are taking safeguards to watermark these images and put some backend controls in so that you will always know it's AI. But the reality is that some of the things that I've seen have been just remarkable in the sense of what they look like. Um, last, uh, but certainly not least, uh, we continue to see a tremendous amount of media around retail shrink, which is fantastic. And I would say that anecdotally, uh, the some of the narratives are changing to the more positive note from our perspective. And what I mean by that is I want to be careful what I mean by positive is in the past, we've uh, at times had challenges with a, uh, um, with the media using, you know, a more derogatory impact and saying that the, the data isn't correct and shrink isn't as big as a problem and so on and so forth. But we're starting to see this trend where there's a gen general and genuine acknowledgement of the problem, which I think is great because it really helps the general population understand what's going on. It also adds a, a layer uh, to the human element of what happens to our frontline workers when these things occur. So 
uh, kudos to all the media partners that are talking about it. I know that uh, the LPRC and myself and Tony are often sharing articles and talking about what we're seeing. So this is a very positive uh, result of a lot of the work that's been done by the listeners here, not only to lobby, but to share information with local and uh, federal law enforcement, DAs, and it, it shows that we're, we're making progress in a place where arguably we struggled before. Um, with that being said, we, we are, uh, for lack of better words, not out of the woods. We still have a, a pretty substantial problem at play, and I think that we'll continue to see the media attention as well as the media, not the media attention, but big companies mentioning shrink in their earnings calls. Um, I think this is great for resource allocation. Uh, I think it's challenging if you own this, uh, you know, as a, a, an LP leader that you now have a different lens uh, with not necessarily all of the insight to what occurs. Um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tony and Reed. But before I do turn it back uh, to Reed, uh, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to myself, Tony Reed, or anybody at the Loss Prevention Research Council. We really are looking for guests, and um, we guests can be uh, members or non-members. But if you're interested in joining the podcast, talking about some of the things we talk about, we're obviously focused on criminology um, with, a, with a high degree of focus around retail. Please reach out to us. Uh, we would love to uh, have you on as a guest. Over to you, Reed. All right. Thanks so much, Tom. Fantastic information. Thank you, Tony, for all that. Uh, I want to thank Wilson and I want to thank Diego for their production uh, of these podcast episodes. And of course, most of all, I want to thank you all. So please stay safe, stay in touch. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.